Hello everyone, I'm Hannah Maddox and this is Malcolm Castaways. With me today is of course Braxton Dalton and a very special guest all the way from New Zealand, Dr. C. Rotman. Dr. C, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, kia ora. Um, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm Dr. C. I am a, originally I am a marine ecologist. I grew up in a landlocked country in Austria, but I always wanted to be just like Jacques Cousteau and save the ocean. So when I was 19, I moved all the way to Australia and I spent the next 10 years of my life studying coral reefs at James Cook University there in Townsville, which is right on the Great Barrier Reef. And I did my PhD on the impact of one of the largest gold mines in the world in Papua New Guinea wow. on the surrounding coral reefs. But then in 2003, when I was about to finish that, I kind of fell in love with Lord of the Rings and a guy who had found on the Lord of the Rings DVD, believe it or not, in the extras, he was the guy who designed Gollum. And so I decided I'm going to go to the Lord of the Rings premiere in Wellington for Return of the King to try and find this guy. And long story short, I did find him. I married him and I moved to New Zealand. And New Zealand doesn't have tropical coral reefs. So I ended up never actually working as a marine ecologist and instead have been over the last 15 years or so developing quite a strong um, knowledge base in behavior change, human behavior change, not coral behavior, which is what wow. I studied and energy efficiency. So that's what I've been doing since then. Oh my gosh. Uh, how cool. Big jump. And I mean, the <laughs> fact that you fell in love with something and you fell in love with a whole person is amazing. That's such a cool story to hear. I'm a successful stalker, except we're not married anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's, that's what awesome. you should get out of this interview though. <laughs> crazy you've traveled the world and just have continued to fall in love with different things and grow as a person and with your who how yeah. you want to study and how you want to go about what you're bringing to the world and becoming better people as a whole I think that's that's awesome I was a lot yeah I mean for me for me what was really important like I was really sad because I always wanted to be a marine ecologist and spend my days diving um, which is, you know, a great lifestyle. It's not that easy to actually get a job as a marine ecologist doing that, um, believe it or not. And uh, what I'm doing now, it feels like I was studying the symptom um, that ruined coral reefs and that was the human impact uh, on mm -hmm. them. And, uh, it's, it's Right now, it's extremely devastating because obviously the Great Barrier Reef is in the process of going extinct. All the corals are bleaching. This is like 25% of all marine species are going to go extinct because of it. It's like terrible. And I think I would find it extremely hard right now having to see that and work with that every single day and not just lose my world to live. On the other hand, what I'm doing is like I'm treating the cause of what is causing all this decline, and that is human and corporate behavior. And we've just seen with COVID how important it is that people change their behaviors when yeah. there is public good and climate change is even bigger issue that we haven't addressed, addressed properly yet. And the ecological collapse is an even bigger one. And all of them need big systemic changes, but they also need individual changes and corporate changes. And what I call changing the behavior of the behavior changes who are the people in charge <laughs> of actually trying to do the right thing. And they actually need, you know, some work as well. And so focusing on this um, is more than enough of a payoff to having lost my ability to go diving every day. For sure. And that is yeah. amazing. That is probably the most inspiring thing I've heard on this podcast. I Aww. am a firm believer yeah. <laughs> in 
climate change and fixing things, but aside from that point, don't want to get off topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> you did speak about COVID. Um, how has yeah. that affected your work personally and how have you just been dealing with that? I know you mentioned that with your studies, it's really made a bit of impact, but you personally, how have you changed the way you study and go about that? Yeah, so, so now I don't know how much you guys know about New Zealand's response to COVID, but it is pretty much the best in the world, at least in the Western world, for sure. Obviously, there's also some really great uh, work done by the Taiwanese and the, and the Vietnamese and uh, Mongolians, but like New Zealand has really blasted a trial of how to eliminate COVID. And so we had a six-week really strict lockdown in March last year. And since then, life has returned completely back to normal, except that our borders are closed. Um, so, you know, for, for me, it's weird because I work with clients in the US, in Canada, in the UK, in Sweden. So I know how bad it is overseas and my family is still in Austria. And so on the one hand, I, I know every day and also from my studies, because I just wrote a big, um, I wrote an accidental book during lockdown on um, how to reach energy users, which is what I'm studying right now. And obviously, COVID has a lot of impact, particularly in those countries that I'm working with, on people who were maybe already struggling with their bills, or even those who weren't, but like who now can't afford their expensive lifestyles anymore because they have been furloughed, or they lost their jobs, and they suddenly find themselves in vulnerable positions that they've never been in. And so the impact of COVID on those people who I'm researching has been absolutely massive. And so my role is really to amplify the voice and the social injustice that this has created and talking about energy equity and energy justice. And so in that sense, and also of course COVID, like for, for my, what I'm doing is I study behavior change and mm -hmm. there has been a greater global effort to change behaviors than what COVID has just done in the last year. The washing the hands, the social distancing, the wearing masks, all of that is individual behavior changes. And um, yeah, so, so, so it's shown both the power of behavior change and the importance of it, and also the impotence of it when it comes to changing the big systemic things, which especially you in the US have seen when it became politicized and, be, and it, you know, it yeah. suddenly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it became a lot more problematic. So, so personally, I had very little um, negative impact. The lockdown here was short. We mostly enjoyed it. I lived next to the airport. It was so quiet. I heard birds. I heard the ocean. There's no cars. I loved it. I realized how much noise pollution is like damaging my mental health. So, you know, I mean, that was great. But then working with all these people and having my family in Austria struggling with these really long extended lockdowns and all these problems obviously makes it clear that this is a really big issue that we haven't yet solved globally at all and New Zealand is just a little paradise that's closed itself off from it in a way which is so cool but I'm proud of you guys for that I've it, I've been no. catching up on Australia New Zealand and like what are we why can't we just be like them like they're doing everything right they're having fun and we're just still a year into this mess and yeah I mean awesome. yeah it was, I have to say, it was the decision and it was because the modeling showed that our hospital system, which is good, it's not like yours where people need to pay for their own health insurance. Everyone has, you know, health insurance paid by the government, but still we wouldn't have had enough ICU beds to deal with the 10,000 people that were modeled to get COVID. And so um, our prime minister, who's, you know, amazing in this sense, just immediately went, we're going to eliminate it. We're just not even going to let it get bad. 
And that made all the difference. But she was attacked by the right wing, especially for a long time. And Sweden was held up yeah. as the model. Right? And mm-hmm. obviously now we know in hindsight, Sweden was not the model and herd immunity is not at all <laughs> the thing to do. But, you know, like that was a very steadfast decision by her from the beginning because she basically said, I will not have 10,000 people die of this on my watch. And and yeah. and she, she she's a communicator. And so the country really bought into her communication skills and the clarity and the transparency and it was never politicized here and that made all the difference and even Australia which has a right-wing government and did things not as clean as us they tried to kind of have their cake and eat it and leave the economy open and and then it caused a lot of problems and Melbourne was like locked down for six months because of it Mm -hmm. but even there you know they basically went no we need to do what New Zealand is doing and eliminate this it's just (laughs) The, the other option, as we see, is just too terrible. You know, it's too terrifying. Yeah. Mm. And that's so interesting to hear what you guys are doing and what we see every day, what we're doing. And it's just, it, yeah, it seems like there is a better way, if you will. But yeah, how yeah, interesting. Yeah, so in, yeah, and in hindsight now, it has been shown like our economy has not collapsed. We have had a super sharp V-shaped economic recovery. Our GDP has not collapsed. Um, even though our international tourism industry obviously has collapsed and it was a huge part of our GDP we really rallied around as the team of five million as Jacinda calls us and like you know try and just spend a lot more on domestic tourism and on buying New Zealand made products and on supporting each other and so you know like I mean that has really that has really made a difference and people say especially in the UK people say oh but you're an island well the UK is an island as well you know Taiwan is an island and Taiwan is very close to the Chinese mainland and has managed to do the same thing so um, I think it's about leadership and it's about the willingness of it's, it's also about how much the people are already polarized or have been polarized by the politicians mm-hmm. yeah well I have to get going so thank you so much <laughs> Uh, you two have fun, and I will oh, hopefully talk to you later. <laughs> okay. Um, well, like I said, that the work you've put in, the work all of New Zealand has put in, is truly an inspiration. I I can't imagine being on that end, and I totally believe, I totally agree with you that you know it does take a leader to admit that we are struggling and that we need to come together. And the fact that you're seeing some of that there is amazing, and I think that. We, we have seen some of it and we will continue to see some of it. And I just hope we, we get better personally. But I know that COVID-19 has been um, just a little bit of struggle for you, but it's also really opened you up to your research. And But have you had any other problems with your new research other than completely changing what you're studying? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, so I, because I run an international research collaboration, um, it's through the users technology collaboration program by the International Energy Agency. So it's got this very big, complex international setup, we have an executive committee of like 17 countries, and they are kind of deciding, you know, what gets funded and what doesn't and funding for these international collaboration gets harder and harder and harder to find and I'm not a university researcher I'm not an academic I've made a very distinctive choice that academia wasn't for me and instead I set out completely on my own and I'm like a one woman research consultant there. <laughs> That's awesome. and you know so I basically run a micro business out of my house but I work with clients all over the world and so I mean in a way COVID again has done me a big favor because now everyone knows how to use Zoom <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, 
<laughs> I don't have to travel internationally anymore because before that I was like traveling three or four months a year and it was really hard being away from my animals and from my partner and from my home and now I'm just super glad that you know I just don't have to do that because I hated the climate impact of my international travel and and, and now you know like zoom is just the thing that we do and we've really learned and shown that we can actually do our work with much less climate impacts it's not the same so so um, one of the big things that scientists do consultants and academics is present at international conferences and meet at conferences and so a big thing is you get a lot of work done there and you meet a lot of new collaborators there and certain conference conferences like the behavior energy and climate change conference in the in the states which is like the biggest one in my field um it's really good for also finding new clients and stuff you know and so Doing that online is not the same because you're missing out on the drinks at the bar and the mm -hmm. dinner and lunches and the networking. <laughs> to do a lot of that work, it sounds, it sounds like you know scientists are just like living the high life there, but it's not actually true because that is where you really make the connections and do the work, and that is definitely a bit of an impact. But I think most environmental scientists like me would agree that the ability not to have to travel internationally and not to emit all these greenhouse gases way outweighs the you know the fact that we just need to be a little bit more able to connect with one another without the face-to-face -face interactions and I mean I do as part of my work I facilitate face-to-face -face workshops with different stakeholders and, it, and there it's really important to have that face-to-face -face interaction and so I'm currently trying to rejig this and how we can do this um remotely as well as and there's definitely challenges but yeah I mean as I said I, I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world right now than New Zealand and I am <laughs> really happy that for the first time in I don't know 15 years I haven't had a single international flight you know I had no flights in the last year so I'm finally doing the right thing for the climate so yeah I didn't even think about yeah the benefit of not traveling that much really does help the environment. I didn't, I mean, obviously coming from a scientist, that is huge. And that's awesome that you're like taking this at a positive light. You're looking at it as half glass full and not half empty. And that's, that's awesome. And I see in your face and the way you talk about your research, it's so like, you're so inspired by what keeps and motivates you. And that's amazing that you just, I can tell that you love what you do. And that's really inspiring to me. But with that, have you used that motivation that you have personally? And I know you talked about a book. Have you written any other research papers or anything along those lines? Yeah, yeah, I've written hundreds of them. Um, mostly, <laughs> yeah, mostly technical and client reports and reports for the International Energy Agency. But uh, I did, uh, and lots of conference proceedings, which are peer reviewed, but I did, um, I was the editor or co-editor of uh, the largest special issue for a big journal in my field called energy research and social science and it was on storytelling and narratives and energy and climate change research because I really like having fun with my research I think it's super important it's really important for the environment it's really important for social justice so like I feel very fulfilled by the topic I'm studying but I also really love um, having fun with it and entertaining the people that I'm working with because I think it's really important that research isn't super dry and so storytelling is something that I use as a research technique, particularly to break down some of those barriers when I have these multi, you know, very different stakeholders with very different mandates and often conflicting mandates in a room. And so I make them tell fairy tale stories to break the ice. <laughs> awesome. And I wrote a paper on that. I wrote a paper on how you actually use a fairy tale story spine that starts with once upon a time, every day, 
but then because of that but mm -hmm. then you know and then because of that un until finally and ever since then the end and then people fill it in with like their own energy story or their country's energy story or any specific topics and so I did a bit of a content analysis of that and that was quite fun um so yeah so that is that is like basically my my most academic contribution to the field which is which doesn't sound very academic at all <laughs> I think it's awesome stories yeah. I love story writing I love presenting stories I'm in speech I'm in drama I love just mm. going out there and sharing even stories I haven't written and I love the fact that you use fantasy stories because I I love fairy tales I love Disney as much as the next person and have you had any pers personal like amazing stories that you're like I can't believe this is happening to me we like to ask this to everyone just any crazy story you've had Oh God, I, got, I mean, I, I, I got a million crazy stories, um, but obviously, <laughs> obviously the way, the way I moved to New Zealand and found my, um, yeah, my that's husband, pretty crazy. the first husband was pretty crazy. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I did, I, I do, I do a lot of great things that because having the fun and doing the right thing are like kind of two strands that drive me and everything. It also, you know, regularly gets me into all sorts of interesting um situations not all of them are always um you know positive a lot of them are kind of learning stories as well which is what we found is probably some of the most important stories are actually not the hero stories but the learning stories and sometimes even the horror stories and um <laughs> I had one of those I, I was really excited I was um part of the largest all-female scientist expedition to Antarctica in 2016 oh my yeah, and I was super excited. And like Jane Goodall was and Christina Figueroa were like the patrons of it and stuff. And it just sounded like the most amazing thing. And it was all about combating sexism in STEM, which is science, technology, uh, and maths. And they are like, you know, the some of the engineering and maths, they're some of the um, areas, professions where sexism and, you know, uh, female empowerment is actually the most mm -hmm. impactful. And um, it's actually really hard to be a female scientist. Female PhDs are the people least likely to have children because, you know, like all the pressure is on them. It's not the same for male scientists, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, we get much less paid. It's much harder for female scientists to, to you know, reach the high levels in the field, et cetera, et cetera. And so I thought that was going to be amazing. And it was. Antarctica was amazing. <laughs> and I really loved the other women on the ship. But then um, there was also some really bad things that happened on the ship around sexism ironically and then the way the way it was dealt with was um really 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 and a very unhappy kind of horror learning story kind of experience there's an article on it in grist um which you can find it's called on thin ice and um we really and and, and it showed that um there's there's you know even the things that sound like the most visionary and exciting and amazing things that you could possibly be a part of there there is so much ingrown issues like societally even women are very sexist towards other women and that's something that showed it to me and so even us women all with PhDs all with like so much experience and so many years of you know learning and fighting these kind of issues when it came down to pulling together and doing the right thing we we split with we, we split into three parts there was us who were trying to fight for what's right and for the victims of you know the assault then there was the vastest group who just decided to not want to be involved and then there was those who actually fought us directly and and um 
yeah and it, it was it was really 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 painful it was a very painful and traumatic experience for pretty much everyone involved so um yeah I mean that's not maybe the most positive story you wanted to hear but it's it's kind of an important story because yeah yeah not everything is always as as neat as you wish it to be even if it sounds like you know that's such an important lesson to learn you're oh my gosh you're blowing my mind this <laughs> I love you so much. I'm sorry. Oh, thank <laughs> you. You're awesome too. <laughs> thank you. I haven't done anything. I'm just listening to your story and being blown away. It's you have already taught me so much, and I have just had the tip of the iceberg, if you will, talking about Antarctica. But um, so yeah. Amazing <laughs> I that's so cool. Um, sorry. <laughs> Um, the last thing I would like to talk about just to wrap this up is, do you have any words of inspiration to any young girls or boys out there who are interested in STEM and knowing that that is a very broad but difficult um, career to get into? Do you have any yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, I think it's one of the most important professions that we need, especially young people in it. I think you guys have such a better grasp on so many things than we did in our generation X and then you know even the millennial even the millennials are still just catching up and like mm -hmm. your generation Z is just like really getting it I've been really involved with Extinction Rebellion and with the school strikes and like you know I have all the belief in the world that this generation is the one that understands the problems better than any before them and so it's really important that you get into those fields where you know the knowledge is created and the and and and, and uh, technology is invented and uh, people are being changed <clears throat> by expertise and by knowledge and by innovation however what i'd also say is like do go in with your eyes wide open it is a difficult field and it's not just the learning side that's difficult it is you know a very it's a very patriarchal field it's a very traditional field you know like now in the us you have the issues that experts have been you know attacked by you know with the whole fake news stuff like I mean expertise mm -hmm. and kind of you know disregarded and so there's a lot of struggle as well especially if you're a girl um going in but like the the main thing is I always say when I when I give talks to school children with Skype a scientist I always say like um you know if you're interested in the world around you you can be a scientist because mm -hmm. that's really that's the number one thing. And if you also want to change things for the better, then you definitely should be a scientist. So, <laughs> you know, and, and like with everything else, you know, life, life, isn't, life isn't always easy. But um, the great thing about science and engineering and technology and all these kind of fields is that you will be able to make the world a better place if you can hang on and be tenacious and make sure that you look after your, you know, mental and physical well-being at the same time. And one of the really big things is to try and find collaborations. I'm really big on collaborations. And so even though I'm a, I'm a lone woman research consultant, <laughs> I work with, with a team of some of the smartest people in the field uh, all over the world. And that is so rewarding. And there is no competition between us. And I always make sure that I put myself in a position where I don't compete with them, but where I can collaborate with them because the sciences, academia is set up to be very competitive and mm -hmm. anti-collaborative in a way. So if you find a way to do this in a collaborative way, you'll be much happier. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I've certainly been inspired. Um, do you have any last words to say just real quick to wrap things up? 
no i'm just super impressed with your timekeeping you are like <laughs> on top of it this is a really great interview thank you so much again for inviting me to it and i super enjoyed myself and good luck to all of you guys thank you.